How does recognizing powerlessness over a child's addiction make it easier to detach and not enable them? Welcome to episode 355 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Karen, Jonathan, Michael, Adele, Christine, and Elena. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Karen, Jonathan, Michael, Adele, Christine, and Elena for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends of family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I'm your host today. And joining me today is Jacob. Welcome, Jacob. You told me that you were inspired by a couple of readings from One Day at a Time in Elanon. You want to share those with us? The first one is January 29th. And this is one, at least from my perspective, that kind of is instructional about not enabling um, our loved ones. And although this particular reading talks about more of a a marital type of situation, I believe that it's equally applicable. Of course, I am obligated by compassion and a common humanity to help others. But this does not mean that I should do for them what they ought to do for themselves. I have no right to deprive anyone else of the challenge to meet his own responsibility. Then it goes on to say that by my assuming those responsibilities, it will only weaken his will to accept his share of the responsibilities. The way I've read this is that no matter the type of relationship, there are mutual obligations that are applicable and that I can go about paying his bills. I can go about paying for my son's clothing, buying him new clothes periodically, those types of things. But ultimately, what I'm doing is depriving him of having the responsibility and accepting the responsibility for having to live on his own. If dad's always going to be stepping in and make things okay every time something goes up, it it ultimately, uh, there's no incentive for him to try to make ends meet or try to live his life responsibly. Totally. What's your next reading? It is the February 11th reading. It deals with the first step and coming to the realization that we were powerless over alcohol. This was a hurdle for me Mm -hmm. in the sense that always having been a person who is in control, always being a person who someone could turn to to lay out a game plan, fix a situation, make home repairs if something needed to be fixed. It became a situation where I was a go-to guy that I knew how to get things done and get things fixed. My my stubbornness, if you will, and, and the last paragraph of, of the reminder for this one, let not my stubborn self-will stand in the way of my achieving serenity. Before I can accomplish anything, I must accept my need for help. And mm. being the fix-it, in-control person, that's ultimately what led to, my sponsor calls it step zero, 
And that's recognizing that you have a problem that needs to get addressed. You're not quite sure what it is or how to go about doing that. But that's ultimately what brought me through the door in, and into the rooms of Al-Anon. Yeah, I like that uh, concept of step zero. That, oh, there actually is a problem here. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, the level of frustration, the level of desperation that I had, what are the, there's the, uh, the adage, what's the definition of insanity? Trying something over and over again expecting there to be a different outcome. And I thought I was being supportive of my son. I thought by doing all of these things for him over the years, that it was a situation where I was helping him out, fulfilling my parental uh, responsibilities. That was one of the big factors. And then nothing happening, uh, the guilt that that as a parent I was feeling for not being able to fix the situation and get him on the right track. caused me a lot of grief, a lot, very ashamed of the situation, guilty. Yeah. Ultimately, (laughs) that's the desperation and frustration that brought me through the door. Yeah. So maybe we should go back a little bit and start at some beginning of the story (laughs) and lay it out. So we have a picture of what happened before you found the program and how did you get here? I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, so to speak. I've got two sons. Aaron's my youngest. He's the one with the addiction. I divorced their mother in early 2002 and they moved from Northern California down to Southern California. He was 11 years old at the time. I spent a lot of time going back and forth, driving down, flying them up, being trying to be as involved in in their lives as I, I could. First time that I found out that there was a problem, I had received a call and he had gotten arrested. And as he put it, the cops pulled him over and they found some pills in his car. Okay, we got the court date, made sure I was down there, brought him a suit and shoes to wear so that he'd look dapper and, and presentable as opposed to some hoodlum. And then while he's talking to the judge, found out it, it was heroin that was in his possession, not pills. That was 2008 or so. At that point, his mother and I knew he was probably having a problem based on some of the friends that he was hanging around with and so forth. And ultimately what happened was he had gone into a couple of different residential treatment facilities over the course of the next couple of years down in Southern California. Unfortunately, it's one of those situations, insurance only tends to cover the first 30 days of the program. And having gone through this enough times, 30 days is certainly not long enough for somebody to get their mind clear and on the path to recovery. Anyway, the long and the short of it is he got another accident in 2010, spent 30 days in jail for that. In fact, it was Thanksgiving of of 2010. As soon as he got out of, of jail, mom and I had made arrangements that he was going to come live with me up in Northern California. He stayed clean for about three years. One of the boundaries I had set was that he had to go to school, learn a trade, or get a job. Those were his alternatives. And so he ultimately ended up going to school, taking classes, became certified as a welder, had a lot of automotive repair classes and that type of a thing. I know you'd previously in one of your episodes discussed a little sports car that your wife had. I had one as well, and it was a working platform for him. Things were just working out real well for about three years or so. And then all of a sudden I started noticing spoons were starting to be missing from the drawer, lying as to where he was, just some of his old habits that his mother had 
previously explained to me or that, that I have had observed myself, all of a sudden, for no reason, virtually unconscious, sitting on the couch mm. watching t- TV and, and that sort of a thing. Ultimately, he ended up going into uh, a couple of residential treatment programs up here in, in, in Northern California. Again, insurance, 30 days. Once he got out, he'd attend meetings, and then slowly the meetings would stop trickling off. And then I'd notice things missing around the house, spoons missing, again, falling into the old habits. There were times I I, I was doing the, you can buy the drug test uh, kits, the at-home drug tests. Mm-hmm. Did that a few times, and ultimately it got to the point where he said, don't even bother, Dad, I'm, I'm not clean. You try to do what you try to do. You make decisions based on the information. You have a kid that you're trying to take care of. What do you do? Ultimately, he got into a big argument with my fiance, and that's when we had to kick him out of the house. He ended up staying with some friends, multiple friends over the course of a month, because typically somebody wears out their welcome quickly when they're a drug addict sleeping on, on another person's couch. And he's not a a very cleanly person, shall we say. So he he tends to be a little messy. Anyway, he ends up wearing out his welcome. He had a friend from Southern California that was in the process of getting a, a apartment, almost a little bungalow near the beach in Santa Cruz. So he ended up moving uh, from our area to Santa Cruz. It's about a three-hour drive. And he lived in the apartment there for a period of time. Of course, he'd get a job and then lose a job. He'd be clean when he didn't work. And then when he got work, when he found a job, he was always good at getting a job. It was maintaining the job that was his problem. And so he would start making some money. Then he'd start using drugs and then he'd lose his job and it became a vicious cycle for him. Anyway, so he moves to Santa Cruz. And while he's in Santa Cruz, he's not even a year there yet. And he had to go to the hospital because he had obtained sepsis, which is a blood infection, Mm -hmm. and had developed endocarditis, which was a bacterial infection of one of his heart valves. Not good. No. Again, dirty needles, cleanliness issues. He was on an IV treatment for uh, antibiotics for about eight weeks. And during this time, especially while I was in the hospital and in the facility, the skilled nursing facility, I'd go down every weekend, uh, six hours. Sometimes I'd spend Saturday nights. Sometimes I'd just make it a one-day trip, trying to be there, try to be supportive, et cetera, and that type of thing. So anyway, he gets through that. He's advised by the doctor, you're going to kill yourself if you keep shooting up. And of course, those words of wisdom, he would heed for a short period of time. I know he had gone to a counselor and an outpatient rehab that he was doing through a counselor and a doctor to get, they call it MAT, Medicated Assistant Treatment now. He'd taken Suboxone, mm-hmm. basically, okay. he, but you had to get a prescription for that. Anyway, come April of the next year, when his lease expired, his friend was going to be moving out of the apartment but because of a job situation that he had. And I basically, I told Aaron, there's no way that I'm going to be able to facilitate your maintaining your current lifestyle. Have you thought about what you're going to do? You're going to have a job or something. Ultimately, the move out date comes and goes and he didn't have anything. So I helped uh, him remove all his things from the apartment and put it into a storage unit in, in Santa Cruz. And I've continued to maintain that just so that when he ever gets 
gets to that point in recovery, he'll have some of his things back. When he became homeless, I thought it was important for him to maintain a certain level of cleanliness. So I made sure that the gym membership that I had previously gotten when he lived with me was maintained as well. So at least that way he'd have somewhere to go take a shower and stay clean every once in a while. Hmm. So he's living on the streets in Santa Cruz. And in mid-2019, he gets a huge abscess on on his forearm and it, it bursts. And basically the skin is removed and he just has... You can see the muscle tissue and everything else. He's in the hospital several days and decided that they weren't getting him to a skilled nursing facility fast enough for purposes of getting the antibacterial uh, IVs that he needed. And so he ended up leaving the facility against medical advice. Thank God he didn't lose his arm. Thank God he's got some pretty decent scarring on the arm, but the skin ultimately ended up growing back. While he was in the hospital for that was one of the saddest experiences of of this whole ordeal for me in that he had a couple of shopping carts full of his personal belongings that he had hidden away in, in, in a location. He told me where it was and asked me if I could put this stuff into his storage unit. And there's nothing worse than your son's belongings consisting of damp clothing, damp blankets, mm-hmm. a skateboard, a guitar, and, and having to schlep all that stuff and, and bring it to a storage facility. And it was just a heart-wrenching situation. It really brought home what he was doing to himself from Afar, you can have some of these thoughts about what it's like to be homeless and, and so forth, but to actually see it is, is kind of heart-wrenching. And so how do you as a father allow that to continue? Is, is that constant guilt issue again, not just with respect to did I do something wrong in, in his upbringing? Is, did, I do some, not, did I not do something right in supporting him somehow that caused him to turn to addiction? Should I be doing more? I've seen some of the homeless encampments that he he would have pitched a tent in. And it's just, yeah, it's it's one of those uh, situations that, that as a father, you hate to see your child in that sort of a predicament. But what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Ultimately, (laughs) last year he decided for his 29th birthday, he's, started thinking about actually going into uh, a program and we seriously discussed it for several weeks. Ultimately, he asked me to take him down to Southern California to a facility that he'd made arrangements with down in the Los Angeles area near where his brother lives. And so I ended up bringing him down to Southern California before they could admit him into that treatment facility. However, he had to go to the hospital because he had sepsis again. And he had that heart issue again. So he was there. Father's Day, I had gone down to see if I could see him. But bear in mind, this is during the COVID situation. Mm-hmm. And all I could do is through the front glass of the facility, say hi, talk to him briefly. We brought him some things and I left again. And after he got out of that facility, he went into the treatment program, was there for a little over a month and then got kicked out of that because he refused to put a COVID mask on while playing ping pong, or at least that's the story we got and that's the thing you never really know what the true situation is the only person with first-hand knowledge is him and so you're relying on what he's telling you ultimately uh, a week or so after he gets removed from the one facility he goes into another treatment facility makes arrangements and and his brother takes him there in the interim of course he's 
hanging out on somebody's couch, not his brother's. <laughs> his brother just had a new baby, had laid down the rule for him. No, you're not staying here. He goes out into another residential program and finds out that it's not really his fit, according to him. So he ended up leaving that facility. We didn't hear from him for several weeks, and it turns out that he decided to go camping on the beach in Venice Beach. I, I guess if you're going to do it, do it in style. I don't know. I've seen some of the videos and so forth from Venice Beach, and it doesn't look like it's something I would want to do. There again, yeah, it, it, it's his choice, ultimately. And that was a hard thing to accept. He's making his choices, uh, and those are his choices to make. But anyway, so he's on Venice. I get a call in November just short shortly before the thanksgiving that he has to have a heart uh, valve replaced and that he's going to go in the in under the knife the following day mm-hmm. and so i said okay it's not like i can just shoot down on the freeway and see you it's going to take a good 6 hours i said i've got work i'm not going to be able to be there i will find out what happens after the surgery and try to make arrangements maybe this weekend maybe later this week i have to see what my schedule is like at work etc so the next morning it, it, he's always been really good about because of the hipaa requirements and so forth the facilities and the nursing staff etc are, are are reticent to try to discuss anything uh, unless they get the approval of the patient. So he's always been real good about having the nursing staff communicate with me and so forth. So anyway, what was supposed to be the morning following the surgery, I called and spoke to his nurse and was advised that the surgery had been postponed. Apparently, he had taken a syringe off of one of the hallway carts that they have in these facilities, and he had hidden it had saved one of the oxycodone pills that they had given him sometime the previous days, ended up crushing that, putting water in, shooting himself up the, the night before his surgery. And of course, the anesthesiologist went nuts You know, once they found that, that out and they had to postpone the surgery. Ultimately, that facility ended up not performing the procedure. He ended up being transferred to two other facilities, both of which said they were not able to help him and ultimately ended up going to a nationally uh, renowned facility in the Los Angeles area with an excellent reputation for cardiology. And and I'm very thankful to God. And this is where that let go and let God comes in for me in that it's completely out of my control. There's nothing I can do. There is this facility with excellent reputation for this kind of stuff, and they end up being able to replace his heart valve. Procedure went well. A couple of days later, heart rhythm isn't quite what it's supposed to be, so they ended up having to insert a pacemaker as well. This was just before the whole second crackdown of COVID, at least here in California, so I was able to be in the hospital with them for a three, four-day period uh, before they shut everything down again and had an opportunity to talk to some of his social workers, etc. Anyway, the story is not quite the Reader's Digest version I had intended, (laughs) so I apologize. Well, okay, so somewhere along in there, uh-huh. You hit that step zero. Yes. October of 2019, 27th, if you want to know the exact date. Okay. Yeah, no, it's very firmly implanted in my mind. Yes. What happened that brought you there? It sounds if it was that very specific date, that must have been something that happened. Yeah. No, I, I just remember the date because I walked in the room, A, 
thinking to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where is the furthest seat away from the desk where the meeting secretary is speaking from? I want to be close to an exit door so that if things don't quite work out as I'm not even that as I'm expecting, because I have no idea what to expect right. at this point. Mm-hmm. I just, again, there was nothing... It was the whole kit and caboodle that got me to that point, just the frustration of, of, of everything. I had expected that within a couple of weeks of living out in the street, he'd be looking for a job or have a job or, hey, dad, can something. But there was no indication, nor was there for over a year, whether he liked the not having to be accountable, whether he liked the lack of responsibility. His only obligation was to somehow feed himself periodically. He fashioned himself a street performer in in the sense that he was one of those guys that would sit on the corner of kind of the main tourist area in Santa Cruz, play his guitar, basically uh, living off of the generosity of others, a couple bucks here, there, which is ultimately what he ended up doing in Venice Beach as well. I'm certain that he was also involved in selling drugs because that is something that he would often resort to because as I understand, it can be rather expensive to maintain a healthy heroin addict addiction it was all of that whole thing i had finally gotten to the point where i was just so desperate that nothing was working out and that i was frustrated the shame and the guilt that i felt were just so overpowering that i had to do something and you had heard about elon from somewhere at one of the residential treatment facilities when he was still living with me and they had suggested during one of the family meetings yeah. they had suggested Al-Anon and I looked into it and thought a couple of thoughts crossed my mind a this appears to be more uh, attuned to alcoholism and not necessarily drug addiction right. and the other aspect was why do I need to go to a program because <laughs> I'm not the one that has the problem. He is. Exactly. Exactly. I've I've come to find out that's a rather common refrain that that people have. I was right there. I was right there. (laughs) So you ended up in in Al-Anon rather than, say, Naranon. I had somebody, and I forget who it was that I was talking to, but they were familiar with my son's uh, situation. And they suggested Al-Anon to me. And I, I said, okay, I got to do something. Maybe my, my previous perception was not accurate. Uh, I needed to do something. So I decided, you know what, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go. The particular family group that I participate in and that I'm a member of is near Folsom Lake. And so I would periodically go kayaking on Folsom. And so I arranged for my kayaking adventures of the day to end a little early so that I could make it to this meeting. And I did. We typically meet on Sundays. And I've been there almost every Sunday since then, with some exceptions, like going down to visit my grandchildren in Southern California. (laughs) And I know this topic has come up before, too, in some of the discussions with respect to the whole COVID and isolation and those types of things. I, I tried a Zoom meeting once. I'll just say it was it was not my preference. I like to have that kind of in-person thing. There's a completely different energy that, that you know that that develops in a room. And so there were several folks in the family group that 
were of similar mind. So we would typically show up at the same time as, as our meeting and simply have a little get together fellowship in, in the parking lot and talk to each other. I'll say, I'll call it an informal meeting of a thing mm-hmm. until the county regulations were such where we could actually go back to an in-person meeting with the social distancing, face masks, so forth. Yeah. In, in, in California, you have some weather advantage about Maybe maybe being able to have windows open or sitting True. outside or whatever. <laughs> True. I picked up a service position here of maintaining the group records for the district that that I live in. And I had a question from somebody who was like, hey, I found information on the website about this meeting. And I went there. It was a Zoom meeting. And I went to it. And it was an AA meeting, not an Al-Anon meeting. And uh, so I looked into it, and I managed to communicate with the person who was the group representative for that group. And she said, yeah, we had been meeting outside until we couldn't. The room that they were meeting in was basically too small to have social distancing. Yeah. Okay. I've been in that room, and you could maybe have three people in there sitting six (laughs) feet apart. Okay. She said, so we're not meeting right now until the weather gets warm and we can meet outside again. So, you know, that happens. It does, especially in this day and age. Now, I have other friends who are like, wow, I go to meetings in New York and <laughs> England and, you know, <laughs> so yeah. there's that part, there's that side of it. Okay, let's go back. So you're at your first meeting, you come in, you sit as far away from the, the chairperson or whatever as you can. What do you remember from that first meeting? Maybe something somebody said or maybe just how you felt because something got you to come back. Oh, absolutely. A couple of things. One of the ladies that's in our family group had a similar situation with her son, who is currently still in prison. Mm -hmm. Again, drug addiction issues, the story, but with a few different details, if you will. And she had taken me aside after the meeting and, and we'd spoken a little bit about things. And this was at a point where my son was in jail for some petty issues, ultimately petty issues. He had somebody else's credit card. Who who knows what that whole situation uh, came about. But anyway, so he was in jail at the time. And she said, you know what? Just be thankful. He's in a safe spot. He's got a roof over his head and he's getting fed every day. And he's able to take a shower and stay clean. And that that kind of resonated with me, if you will. So that was, okay. I thought, Maybe these people do have something to offer me. And it's the old adage, you take what you will and mm-hmm. you, you can let the other stuff go by. You don't have to. Yeah. One of the things that I hear there, and I hear this from people a lot, is how important it is that somebody notices that you're there and welcomes you. In this case, welcomes you with a story similar to yours makes a connection. I, I have also heard from people who they went to their first Al-Anon meeting and they felt like they were totally ignored and they didn't come back for years. So I try to remember that when there's somebody new in a meeting to make sure that somebody greets them, somebody tries to connect with them. Yeah. Our family group, we've got a number of, I'll call them experienced members, but we often get newcomers uh, that come to our meeting and that 
it seems to be the way some of us are attuned, if you will, in, in accepting new members, making sure that they have literature, a- answering any questions they may have after the meeting, that kind of a thing. Yeah. I think, as you mentioned, you got to have some sort of connectivity, if you will, for somebody to keep coming back. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, there were times where I'd try to just run in and then run out right after, oh, yeah. the, oh, after yeah. the meeting as well. Oh, yeah, for just, sure. But slowly but surely, if you keep coming back, the, the, and I'll call it the program works. <laughs> one of the readings, the, the February 11th one, let not my stubborn self will stand in the way of achieving serenity. The program works. You have to follow the program. I tried to work the program into my program. Mm, mm. And I did that for a period of time. And although I was getting some benefit from it, it's not quite the same as working the steps with a sponsor, I've come to find out, <laughs> so that I could read the literature all that I wanted. I can go to meetings all that I wanted. But to reap the full benefit, I think, requires a little bit more active participation and work in order to, to, to get the full benefit. That's something that I've done a complete... I, ultimately, I got to the point, everything is unmanageable, throw my hands up, I, I need help. But let me help myself. And I think I can do this by myself. My sponsor has... You can't... Sh- change the mind that you have with the mind that you have. Right. You have to have the assistance of somebody who's objective so that they can help guide you through the process. Is, is, and that's something I've really come to realize and feel strongly about. And I, I don't know if that's the same in other 12-step programs. I would venture to say that it might be, but that is certainly something that, again, I, I can actually experience some of the the changes, you know, that have taken place, at least, you know, in my my own mind and from my own perspective, in in going through the Al-Anon program. That's kept me coming back because it seems to be working. Now, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, and I've been taking several steps now, and I may never get to the thousand miles, but by gosh, I'm going to keep working at it, and I'm going to keep going down that road. It's amazing when you take one step a day, how far you get. And it's true. It's, it's, it's gradual progression as opposed to any sort of instantaneous gratification. So you got a sponsor some sometime along in there, and you've been working the steps with your sponsor? I have. And I, I know a little later on the we talk about our, our week in recovery, so I, I won't talk about it right now, but perhaps we can revisit it then because and the reason I say that is because working step four currently and using Al-Anon's uh, workbook for the fourth step inventory, the blueprint for progress. Yeah. We just got done with the two sections of shame and guilt. Oh boy. <laughs> so, Those are fun know, ones. <laughs> they, but they really are. And uh, rather fortuitous that the timing, if you will, was such that, because those are two of the strongest I'll call, I don't want, well, I'll use the word character defects that I've been struggling with. You could say it, character traits if you don't want to put a judgment on it, or you could. You know, from my perspective, they're defects because obviously they've been rather problematic for me over, over time. So, yeah. yeah. And if, so, if you a know, defect is something that you would like to change, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something that you feel keeps you from happiness or feeling whole or whatever whatever your goal is that's a defect i wanted to see if it's worth digging a little bit into those two readings that you chose okay so your first one january 29th 
talks about enabling or more precisely about not enabling. And I'm wondering how this reading speaks to you or how you have maybe followed the ideas that are expressed in the reading and how that has helped you in your interactions with your son, perhaps, or just in your life. And that's a multi-barreled question. I apologize. (laughs) One of the things is that his constant failures not to fulfill his own responsibilities, that it caused me ultimately to come to the realization, and I wouldn't say that it was instantaneous, but just over, over time, that addiction is a sickness. Mm-hmm. They say alcoholism is a sickness. Any addiction, in my mind, is a sickness. And the depths to which he would go as a result of his addiction, no rational person would do that. Right? No, no I understand what you mean. I absolutely do. And so it just, he's not able to fulfill his obligations and responsibilities because he's a sick person. I shouldn't be upset with him for being a I, I'm I wasn't angry at my folks for getting cancer. They both got cancer. I, you can't be angry at somebody for having a disease. So I guess my happiness doesn't depend on him is the ultimate realization that I've come to in the sense that I can't do for him. He has to do for himself. And if he doesn't do for himself, that's not my fault. And so I have to remove myself. And this is where the detachment issue comes in as well. Ultimately, for my own health and well-being, A, I can't take responsibility for him in the sense that he's exercising his own judgment. He's exercising and making his own decisions. And that's up to him to do. But by constantly stepping in there, we sometimes read the open letter from an alcoholic in our meeting, especially if we have a, a new member. And, you know, by constantly stepping in and doing for him, was I averting the crisis that would have caused him to change sooner? I don't know. I'm not feeling guilty about that because I can only do what I think is right as a human being and as a father. I do the best that I can. My knowledge base now is much different than it was three years ago, much less 10 or 15 years ago when you know this thing started rearing its ugly head. So we do the best we can, but I have come to realize it. He's responsible for his own decisions and his own actions, not me as the father. (laughs) Yeah, you threw out some ages and some years. I'm feeling like he must be about 30. He is. Yeah. In fact, he's coming up on a birthday in uh, four days, his 30th birthday. A (laughs) 30-year-old ought to be able to take care of themselves. I have a pair of them, and they're both doing reasonably well at, as they would put it, adulting. It seems to be a millennial term. And sometimes they make choices and decisions, and thank God neither of them has yet fallen into addiction or other illnesses of that sort. One of my kids found themselves in a position where they had another person living in their apartment because this person was homeless and so on and so forth, and out of the goodness of their heart, they had let this person. Mm -hmm. And, And this person was causing a lot of problems. 
and was doing things that, that my kid thought might get them evicted. But for whatever reason, my kid wasn't able to get this person to move out or whatever. To the point where my child moved into a hotel for a while. And I'm like, I don't think that solves the problem. Okay, it puts a Band-Aid on the immediate problem, but it doesn't solve the underlying problem. But I never said that to them because I knew that saying that wouldn't accomplish anything except maybe <laughs> put a little divide between the two of us. And the way they eventually solved the problem was by moving halfway across the country and leaving. And so this person had to move out because that apartment was not going to be available for them to live in. That's not the only reason they moved, but it did solve right. that problem. And I just tried to be the sympathetic dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's something that I've come to realize too, is my way isn't necessarily the only way to, to get something accomplished. They're entitled to make their own decisions when they become adults. And although I may or may not necessarily agree with those decisions, it's certainly theirs to make. They have their own reasons and, and rationale. I've also come to understand that my previous propensity of offering suggestions to somebody when they're unsolicited also isn't necessarily something that's appreciated. If they ask, I will offer them my opinion. If they ask for a suggestion, I will give them a suggestion or alternative suggestions or ask them a question. What is it that they're looking for from me now, as opposed to simply, you know, well, you should do this, that, or the other thing, and that'll solve your problem. Again, that whole control thing that I've had to learn to temper a little bit over, over the years here. Definitely been there. All right. Anything else you want to share at this point? Yeah. Earlier I'd mentioned let go and let God. Right. And, and I think that kind of ties in uh, a little bit with the, is it the February 11th reading? I've forgotten. The one about already. powerlessness. Yeah. And, and it, the serenity prayer has helped me to understand, I'll, I'll say, understand my place in the sense that I only have control over me and what I do. I don't have control over somebody else or what somebody else does. And God, you know, please help me understand the difference yes. between yes. the two. Yes. But one, one tool that I have come to appreciate is the reference to the hula hoop. If I stand in a hula hoop, what's inside the hula hoop is what I can control. Anything outside of the hula hoop, that's not there for me to control. It's outside of my sphere. Pretty much. Yeah, I remember saying in, in, in a meeting once, I, I, I said something like, I can't stop a baby from crying. What makes me think I can stop an adult from doing whatever they want? <laughs> yeah, no, you mentioned that's absolutely true. As a parent, like, you're all powerful yeah. compared to the baby. But you can't yet. stop the baby from crying. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I have a six-month-old uh, grandson. Actually, seven months old now. I'll hopefully, be going down to see him here in a couple of weeks. And looking forward. Yeah, yeah. They change so rapidly. <laughs> they change so rapidly at that age. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing oh. your experience because I know that somebody is listening right now, right now in the future, <laughs> somebody is listening right now who will connect with your story and it will speak to them. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And we will take a short break and then we'll 
talk about our lives in recovery, how recovery works in our daily lives, in our meetings, because step 12 says we practice these principles in all our affairs, doesn't it? It does. And you picked some music. The first one is uh, by Disturbed. It's called Down with the Sickness. And uh, although ultimately the song ends up talking about some child abuse, I've always associated this at least last several years with my son's addiction because some of the words seem to infer that somebody's indulging themselves, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Drowning deep in my sea of loathing, broken your servant, I kneel. Will you give in to me? It seems what's left of my human side is slowly changing in me. Will you give it in to me? Looking at my own reflections, when suddenly it changes, violently it changes, there is no turning back now. You've woken up the demon in me. That, in my mind... I've just interpreted that as being at least something I envisioned as my son in, indulging himself, so to speak. And that's, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. A little bit disturbing, but very powerful. That's how I saw it. All right. Take a breath. <laughs> oh, we're allowed to do that? <laughs> anytime. Anytime. Okay. I was listening to a show talking about how the last year has just pressed down on many of us psychically or whatever. And the person that was being interviewed, I guess one of the things they do is they teach mindfulness. And she talked about breathing and that doing a long exhale actually takes tension out of your body and and maybe even releases some oxytocin or something like that. It's not my imagination that when I do that, I feel better. It actually does something physically in my body. Well, and to a large extent, that's what meditation is, at least certain types of meditation, as I understand. It's that breathing and focusing on your breathing and just relaxing and let all the Good shit in, bad shit out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a, it's not exactly a song that we do sometimes in church. It's more of a, a chant, but it, as I breathe in, I breathe in peace. As I breathe out, I breathe out love. I'm just repeating and it helps. It helps. So anyway, yeah. So one of the things that I've been trying to do these days is breathe a little bit more, relax a little bit more. Again, this this show that I was listening to, they both talked about how their energy has been sapped. That is how I have felt over the last year. Those of you who've been longtime listeners of the podcast probably have heard me talk about that. I just don't have energy. For years, I was getting out one episode a week. And then over the last year, it's just been the energy wasn't there. And it's, it seems like it's starting to come back. And I don't know if that's partly, that's probably partly spring, that the sun is back. This year, for the first time, I felt that sort of seasonal depression. And I think it just was a reflection of everything going on. I think it may be partly that my father passed this uh, a month, two months ago now, almost. That that was weighing on me. And that's over and I miss him, but he's not struggling anymore. And it, it may be that there seems to be a light at the end of this pandemic tunnel. There's a lot of externals that that I think are... are. So what I've had to do is to be okay 
with not having energy to do what I can and let go of what I can't. That's another version of the serenity prayer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, it really is. The The last week of my life has been pretty quiet, which is good. I like quiet, and that's okay. And I am getting myself outdoors more, which also is helping a lot. So that's part of my self-care. It's getting out in the air, getting out in the sun, sometimes the rain, and just being there. So, yeah. You said you had some stuff that you were ready to talk about here. Yeah. A couple of things that I've started taking care of myself. I recently retired from an occupation that can be quite stressful, but it was time for me to hang it up so that I could take care of myself as well. I've started exercising in the sense of taking the dogs for a walk. I started doing some brief calisthenics so as not to overexert myself. But with respect to the program, yeah, I've been been working with my sponsor on the fourth step. And it just seems so timely that, that I, I had this opportunity to share because the sense of guilt and shame, which are the two topics that, that we mm-hmm. had addressed this week, it's something I still struggle with. I'm still on, on the journey, so to speak. Although I do still periodically feel guilt and shame, one and or the other, often both, but I've noticed that they're of much less frequency and much shorter duration. Sometimes it's like you say with the, the, the deep breathing and the slow exhale, I wouldn't call it quite a meditation that I do, but I will often just take a deep breath and then slowly let it out and just let those thoughts melt away from me and, and focus myself on, on something positive or something different. And having retired, I now am able to relax a lot more. It's just, the funny thing is, I used to have to set my alarm to get up at 7.15 in order to get to work on time. Right. I end up waking up now at six o'clock, 6.30. It's like, my gosh, I don't even need an alarm clock anymore. This is wonderful. So, yeah. Um, so you're setting your schedule instead of trying to fit your schedule to what the world expected of you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's good for me too, ultimately. I would say so. I would absolutely say so. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to add a little bit because I was talking about getting some energy back. And one of the things that I did was I went back through some of my email and found people like you who had volunteered to come on uh, and talk on the show. And I reached out to several people and said, here's the link to sign up to record a session. Uh-huh. And now I have commitments from at least a couple people still in, in May. And when you say, I'd like to do this, and here's when I'd like to do it, then that actually gives me energy to be there and to do it. <laughs> because part of it, part of the problem is just getting started. Yeah. Getting yeah. that ass up off the couch, <laughs> away from the YouTubes. Oh, my God. Been watching so much YouTube this year, and one of them was somebody that actually had reached out to me. Oh, maybe three or four years ago, and we never made a connection. And who emailed me out of the blue and said, "Hey, I'm back. You want to do a show?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, here's the sign up." And they signed up. I take the opportunity when I get it, and then I have it on the schedule, and I'll do it. So, yeah, a little bit more there. And speaking of people coming up, one of a uh, person coming up wanting to talk about the effects of recovery. 
what do you see as the effects of recovery? And this will be a couple weeks off at least. So plenty of time for you to join our conversation, leave us a voicemail or send us an email. Jacob, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send us a voice memo or email at feedback at the recovery dot show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of addiction of an adult child, or any of the upcoming topics, including the effects of recovery. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you would like advance notice of some of our topics so you too can contribute your voice to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at the recovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? That would be our website, which is the recovery.show, where we have all the information about the show. Notes for each episode, links to the books we read from, videos for the music we chose, links to some other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And this episode you can find at therecovery.show slash 355. We will take a a short break before seeing what's in the mailbag and our second musical selection, which is available, as I said, on the website is, what do we got here, Jacob? It is a song by Tool called Right In Two. That's T W O two, huh? What? No, there's, there's tool T O O L. Yes, but right T-W-O, into yeah, yeah, right into T W O. And this is a, a song uh, about exercising free will, whether good or bad. The decisions are ultimately made, yeah. and this is the song is from the perspective of angels up in heaven, if you will. Here are the lyrics for the song: Angels on the sideline, puzzled and amused. Why did Father give these humans free will? Now they're all confused. Don't these talking monkeys know that Eden has enough to go around? Plenty in this holy garden, silly monkeys. Where there's one, you're bound to divide it right in two. Second verse goes, angels on the sideline, baffled and confused. Father blessed them all with reason, and this is what they choose. And this is what they choose. Oh, my. Yeah. Free will. Ain't it a blessing? Yeah. Both a blessing and a curse, Spencer. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What did you have to share with us this week? Amanda left to share about indecision a little too late for the last episode. So here it is. Hi, Spencer and Eric. Thank you so much for your service. I'm really looking forward to the indecision episode. I wanted to share this daily reader page from ACA Adult Children of Alcoholics, the book Strengthening My Recovery. It's the daily reader from January 24th. And it really reminds me of this indecision concept. And I really like it. So I I have it book dog-eared. Actor versus reactor. This book will truly move you from a place of reactor to actor in life. 
As said in many 12-step programs, it works if you work it from the Big Red Book. As children, most of us learn to be reactive as a survival mechanism. If we didn't jump to it without questioning, we were usually punished. We learn to be defensive, often having to explain even the smallest of our actions. We reacted out of fear and did what was necessary to avoid getting in trouble. As adults, this conditioning may have had an upside. Maybe we're the ones who react quickly to a crisis and save the day. But we also might be the ones who react quickly to answer someone else's intrusive question, later realizing it wasn't their business. Then we berate ourselves for being so stupid, or maybe we're the ones who blurt out something inappropriate because something triggered us. ACA's Big Red Book was written to help us uncover and understand the roots of our dysfunctions. We learn that we carry around a critical inner parent that causes us to react in ways we are no longer comfortable with. As we work the program to silence that critical voice, we feel calmer. We learn to stop, question, and decide what our role is and should be, rather than jump to conclusions. Gradually, we become the actors who think for ourselves, and that critical voice fades. On this day, I will take time to read from the Big Red Book to help me further silence that critical voice that may still cause me to be reactive. So for me, this reading shows that maybe growing up in an alcoholic home, that those three A's, the pausing, the you know acronyms for stop, pause, the concept of waiting until it feels right, seeing what more will be revealed, trusting that pausing until the right decision appears wasn't something that I was used to or grew up with, and forcing solutions and jumping as a reactor is typical of the family disease of alcoholism. Indecision is really a key part of being a reactor for me because actually Yes, there was a lot of decisions being made quickly, urgently. The opposite of don't just stand there, do something. Don't just do something, stand there. So that's been a shift. Also, being an actor means for me actively choosing, mindfully deciding what to do. But with that choice in the pause is indecision because I'm having a moment of indecision it can be the negative stance, like paralyzed with indecision, but it could also mean, no, I'm choosing to not make a choice to not decide right now because I'm waiting to go through the three A's. I am waiting for 24 hours for my nervous system to settle on this. I am choosing to wait and see if more will be revealed. And so for me, being an actor is like learning how to be comfortable in the indecision and in the pause. And another thing that indecision is challenging is like on top of the fact that because I've grown up with the reactor way and I'm learning in recovery how to be an actor, how to have choices, how to follow with the three A's, indecision in and of itself, that uncertainty, that pausing, that not knowing is uncomfortable. So just by the nature of changing a habit indecision can feel tough. When I think about going from reactor to actor, mindfully making decisions, you know, not only do I need to shift an operating system of something that I was modeled and really saw growing up, it's also something that today 
it will be uncomfortable in a, in a real changing and learning simply because habits take time to break, to change. You know, maybe it feels more comfortable for me or maybe in my work, for example, it's important for me to be quick thinking and to jump to think of like the first thought is the decision. <laughs> and maybe it's uncomfortable to say, have, okay, this is my first thought. That's one possible decision. What are three other decisions? What do other people think? And just creating space for more options, more possibilities, like creating space for more possibilities is indecision so that I can mindfully choose one true decision. And the other thing I want to point out is a big part of those survival tactics, right? Those character defenses were survival skills. And when talking about like my nervous system and being in a trauma response, maybe like a fight, flight or freeze mode, when you are in a fight, flight or freeze mode, when you're in survival mode, the possibilities go away, like curiosity goes away. And so it's really hard to see other like it's really hard to have that hope. However, other possibilities exist when you're in survival mode and indecision can either feel paralyzing for me or for me, I because I'm the reactor. I have one thought and I just go with that because that's the only thing I see. And so pausing and learning how to feel comfortable and learning how to feel safe in the indecision opens it up so that I can have more possibilities, more choice to make eventually the right decision. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have to say. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda, for your contribution. And Gina also wrote about making decisions. Hello, Spencer. This is a daily reader from either Codependence Anonymous or Melody Beattie, but it seems appropriate for this topic of indecision. It's titled When the Time is Right. There are times when we simply do not know what to do or where to go next. Sometimes these periods are brief, sometimes lingering. We can get through these times. We can rely on our program and the disciplines of recovery. We can cope by using our faith, other people, and our resources, except uncertainty. We do not always have to know what to do or where to go next. We do not always have clear direction. Refusing to accept the inaction and limbo makes things worse. It is okay to temporarily be without direction, say, I don't know, and be comfortable with that. We do not have to try to force wisdom, knowledge, or clarity when there is none. While waiting for direction, we do not have to put our life on hold. Let go of anxiety and enjoy life. Relax. Do something fun. Enjoy the love and beauty in your life. Accomplish small tasks. They may have nothing to do with solving the problem or finding direction, but this is what we can do in the interim. Clarity will come. The next step will present itself. Indecision, inactivity, and lack of direction will not last forever. Today, I will accept my circumstances even if I lack direction and insight. I will remember to do things that make myself and others feel good during those times. I will trust that clarity will come of its own accord. Additionally, Concept 3 says, The right of decision makes effective leadership possible. From this, I have learned that I must trust others to make decisions as best they can based on the information and tools that they have at the time. I can put this on myself as well. I know that I can only make my best decision in any given moment based on the information I have at the time. This allows me to let go of post-decision regret when I confront my own indecision. Thank you for the time and effort with this podcast. Yours in recovery, Gina. Thank you, Gina. 
Layla left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Layla. I'm calling from Arizona. And I'm just finishing episode 285, We Can Find Contentment and Even Happiness Whether the Alcoholic is Still Drinking. And I just want to thank you so much for the podcast. I love it so much. I'm obviously behind. I'm on 285, which was two years ago. But what I love about it is just the the reminder when I listen that I have a program and I don't have to be I have choices. I have a choice today to be contented and happy, regardless of what's going on around me. And I just really feel so grateful to be reminded of that today. And yeah, I just want to thank you for all that you do. Additionally, I love, and I don't know if this is intentional that you do this, but you use they pronouns really seamlessly. (laughs) And I really love the anonymity of that. Like you refer to your children as they or your friends as they. And it's just, I really love hearing you do that because it teaches me how to incorporate that better in my language with friends and to protect the anonymity of people as well. So just really love that language nuance that you share. Thank you for all you do, Spencer. I love the show. Thank you, Layla. Thank you for for calling. And we have a couple of shares from Alina, one on judgment, one on relapse. Hi, this is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 104, um, which was on judgment. This probably couldn't, this episode probably couldn't come at a better time because I guess there's a lot of things going on in my life where I stop myself from judging or taking people's inventory and just minding my own business. And although I'm not one to gossip or you know, and it makes me feel really uncomfortable to talk poorly about other people. I realize that I do have thoughts of like, um, when something happens, I always question why these things happen. And as far as my qualifier to wondering why, you know, that now that he's relapsed and come out of it and he's basically two to three weeks clean, I guess this relapse has been a lot different. And I realize that I just leave it up to God and leave it up to his higher power and just ask for my own strength to do what I need to do to take care of myself and pray for him and be supportive. But I definitely, that's one of the things is I try not to judge that or be hard on myself for maybe having feelings of being let down or taken advantage of or not appreciated. I try not to, because that is one of the things that they described is, are you hard and on yourself and criticizing and judging. And I think that definitely happens with me. I did have some issues with a friend and I held on to it for a good month and was just wondering why I don't get a response or why I didn't have a connection. And I didn't know how to approach it. I didn't know if I should say something or let it go, or maybe I was being too critical and I felt like I was imposing a lot. That to me was like judging. And I realized that she's busy and she has a lot going on. And I let it go for a little while. And then I felt I had to say something in a nice way just for myself, just to say, this is how I'm feeling. And I wasn't like placing blame in the way I worded it. I think I did pretty good. It was good that I said something. She just did confirm that she has been busy. And I noticed that it helps me process things a little bit better. So... I don't know. I feel good about that. Another thing I guess is on here, it says, how do you think others judge you? And sometimes I feel, especially at work, when things don't go my way or if my boss is 
being critical of, as something that I should be doing a certain way. I just have to maybe not say anything and just realize and just say, okay, you know, and agree. And it's just easier to be happy than be right. I don't know. That's another thing too, that I was thinking about when I was listening to this podcast and how can judgment be a positive attribute? I wasn't really sure on that question. And how has the program helped me be less judgmental of others and myself? And that definitely has helped because I realized that it's not all about me and what others think and everyone has things that they're going through. And I know that if I do the next right thing and just be gentle with myself and not harsh, things seem to go a lot better. So sometimes I do have to reason things out with another member and that always helps and I definitely don't feel judged in that sense. So I guess that could be considered good judgment. But anyways, I did like this topic and I'm glad that, that this came up at a good time for me. I just wanted to share on this episode on relapse. I shared before that one of my qualifiers recently had a relapse about three weeks ago. I know one of the questions was, did you expect it? And how did I react? I didn't expect it, to be honest, because he basically almost had two years clean and sober. And the first thing I wanted to do was, I know that I didn't panic like I usually do in the past. I don't know if it's because it's been a while or or what. I don't think that I'm numb to it at all. And I definitely was sad and worried and concerned, but I guess I was more shocked than anything else because it came out of nowhere. And the first thing I wanted to do was... I wanted to figure out why, what happened, what triggered it. I know it came at a time where I needed him and we were both going through a rough time at work. We work for the same company, even though it's two different offices. I was having a hard time and there's going to be a lot of change going on. Our boss was very like negative and said some hurtful things that I found out about and he knew about them too. And I was really upset about it. I had gone away upset that night and then come to find out that he had a relapse was really like confusing and difficult and I didn't understand it and I was trying to figure it out and I knew that I had to stop. That was my thinking and I just had to not go there. He lives at home and his mother was out of town. She had just left that week and my first thing is, did he plan this? And I had to stop that thinking of, because it didn't really matter. I just knew I had to take care of myself. I did probably do a little decline on my self-care. Like normally I would shut down and be isolating and not talking to anybody, but I did reach out. I talked to my sponsor. I talked to an Al-Anon friend and I tried to take care of myself. Even though it lasted four days, it was a rough four days. It was a rough four days for him, I'm sure. And he was ashamed and upset. It was hard to see him like that. I definitely, maybe a little bit, a part of me went back to how I used to react, but I was a little bit stronger this time. I don't know what it was. Usually he wants to hit a meeting right after he gets clean, like a day or two or even three, but he hasn't mentioned anything about meetings. He hasn't had a program for about a year or so. And that's not for me to take his inventory. And I still do my program and he knows that. And he supports me. He has to do it on his own and I can't force it or anything like that. I like this topic on relapse and it's a hard thing to hear about. I was hearing the story and it just, 
touched me. I know that they say that it's a part of recovery and all that, but it's just, it's sometimes is very hard, but I guess I'm grateful that things are somewhat okay. Now there was, you know, nothing was as chaotic as it can get. I'll just have to pray for my qualifier and hope that you know, everything goes well. Anyways, I like this topic. So thank you. Thank you, Alina, for continuing to share with us. Uh, our last song selection is also by Tool, and this one's called The Pot. And you can also listen to this song in its entirety on the recovery.show slash 355. This is uh, song kind of is something I've come to appreciate more as trying to exercise control over another person, i.e. my son. Here we go. Who are you to wave your finger? You must have been out of your head. I hold deep in muddy waters. You practically raised the dead. Rob the grave to sow the cradle, then burn the evidence down. Soapbox, house of cards, and glass. So don't go tossing your stones around. Foot in mouth and head up ass. So what you talking about? Difficult to dance around this one till you pull it out, boy. Who were you to wave your finger? So full of it. Eyeballs deep in muddy waters. Fucking hypocrite. Liar, lawyer, mirror. Show me what's the difference. Kangaroo down hung the guilty with the innocent. So who were you to wave your finger? Who are you to wave your fatty finger at me? You must have been out of your mind. Yeah, trying to exert control. And I, I use this analogy and I've used it uh, for myself as well, but I'll use it right now for Aaron. Once years ago when I was a small boy and my responsibility in the family was to take the dog for a walk every day and we got a new puppy and boy, I put a leash around that puppy's head and tried to take it to the park about less than a block away. And that puppy refused to move, dug all four paws into the ground. And you know what, no matter what I did or said to try to coax that little thing along, he refused. And, and I think to some extent that's Aaron's response to some of my finger pointing and I'll say suggestions and exercising control. It's uh, he dug his heels in and said, no, I'm going to do this myself. I'll do it my way, whether it's the way you like it or not, period. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.